I am told that there is a way that Native American storytellers often begin a story. They will say, I do not know if it happened exactly this way or not, but I know that this is a true story. And I find that this sentiment can often be a helpful way to approach certain passages in the Bible that we may find very difficult, including the passage from Numbers 21 that we heard this morning. The first thing to say about this passage is that it challenges our view of who God is. We have been taught that God is a loving and compassionate God, full of forgiveness, full of care for all of God's children. And it challenges our view that God would become so frustrated that he would send these poisonous, deadly snakes to bite the Israelites as they're in the wilderness on their journey. And of course, needless to say, this also challenges our view of the natural world that these poisonous snakes could just simply appear out of nowhere in the desert. The story is definitely out there, and while we may think that it's something that we cannot relate to, if we read it in a different way, looking not for fact or literalism, but instead looking for truth, we may find that we actually can relate to crucial parts of what this story is about. So remember what is happening in this setting. The people have been journeying in the desert with Moses at this time for years. And they have known hunger, they have known challenge, and we have seen, as we read the accounts, we have seen their, their difficulty at being able to even follow sometimes the simplest of directions that God gives them. There's been a lot of mutual frustration. And one of the problems for them is, what are they going to eat? Are they going to have food to sustain them on this difficult journey? And God provides for them. He offers them bread, bread that comes down from heaven. But it's not typical bread as you would expect if you went to a bakery today. It's strange, flaky stuff that comes down like dew and settles on the land and they can collect it on days that are not the Sabbath. And the people even have a word for the bread, they call it manna. And the word manna literally means, what is this? And here we meet the people at what is not their finest moment when they say, complaining, we have nothing to eat and no water and we hate this stuff that we have to eat. Didn't they just say they had nothing to eat and yet they hate what they had to eat? It's like the child, the spoiled brat who is saying, I'm starving, I'm going to die of hunger and then you offer him an apple and he says, I don't want that. This is the people, and as I have said, it's not that far out there. We have been that. If you're a parent, you, you may understand some of the frustration that God was feeling. And then when God responds the way that he does and puts the poisonous snakes uh, amid the people to bite and kill them, Maybe that's not something that a parent of a spoiled child would do, but it might be something a parent of a spoiled child would think about. There is familiarity, even in a story like this. 
And so the next part of the story actually comes to the part where God offers a remedy. And in the solution, a powerful, memorable image is created. Interestingly, the problem becomes the cure. Moses is instructed to build a bronze snake and to put it on a pole, a snake to save the people from the snakes. And when he puts it on the pole and he raises it up above the people, when they look up and they behold the bronze snake on the pole, it will save them from the snakes that are at their feet to bite them and to kill them. And you know, even this, we have seen. Even this is familiar. If you let the poisonous thoughts the poisonous talk, the poisonous distractions that take place down low in your life, if you let those things capture your attention, it will bring you down to that level. I think of the trolls that are out there. We're in an age of trolls, aren't we? I think of the thousands of temptations that we get daily to be reactionary in this culture of immediacy, to be petty, judgmental, and hurtful, letting our fears be what gets fed, which nourishes nothing good in us and starves us. But if you lift your gaze above all that dwells on that level, you will save yourself from the poison that is there. Put very simply, and many of you have heard me say this before in other contexts, where we look matters. It is a spiritual thing to look where God wants us to see. This is a big part of what life in faith is about. It's about the act of lifting our gaze. And so we might ask this morning, what are those snakes in our own lives? Maybe you have given them your attention, or maybe you've turned away from them. We have that opportunity. I'm not sure if it happened exactly this way in the desert or not, but I know that this story is true. And then in the gospel that we heard, one of the most central gospels that we have in the church, Jesus points to this story, this strange story of the snakes in the desert. But let me back up a little bit. One thing that we didn't get in the gospel reading was the setting of of where that was taking place. So Jesus is teaching at this time in the gospel of John, and Nicodemus suddenly shows up on the scene. Nicodemus is a religious leader. He's a Pharisee. And he comes to hear what Jesus is teaching to encounter this person who's being claimed to be a Messiah. But he comes at night. There are two possible reasons that this may be the significance of him coming at night. One, obviously, is that he may be coming, but he doesn't want anyone else to know it. So he's coming in secret. Another, perhaps more spiritual reading of him coming at night 
is that Nicodemus is coming to the light and looking to the light that he himself is still in the dark. And it's clear that he's still in darkness because when Jesus speaks, he's not yet ready to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is speaking about spiritual and heavenly truths, and Nicodemus is hearing only the literal and worldly interpretations. For example, when Jesus says, it's almost comical, <clears throat> Jesus says that you need to be born again. And Nicodemus, I think, earnestly asks him, so we're supposed to climb into our mother's womb one more time and come out? It sounds so strange to him. But then Jesus explains the way of the Spirit, that it comes and you don't know where it comes from, and it goes, you don't know where it's going to, but you know it when it's in your midst. And it leads Jesus then to this teaching, where he talks about himself, of all things, as being like the snake on the pole that will be raised up. And when the people look up, they lift their gaze and look to him, the people will be saved. And this word believe that is used many times, perhaps we should translate it slightly differently because it's not belief in that intellectual sense of belief, it's belief in the sense of giving yourself to. To give yourself to the light that God has sent in the Son. And we know the truth of that as well. And isn't it interesting that the problem becomes the cure again. Death becomes a way to life. God makes it so that Jesus is raised up in two ways. He is raised up in crucifixion on a terrible cross, and he is raised up in a glorious resurrection. He is raised up. And we are asked to look up and to behold and to give ourselves to that light that we see if we open our eyes to see it. And miraculously, the worst becomes the best. Jesus being raised causes us to tilt our own heads back and to behold, lifting our gates heavenward, moving us in the direction of the life that is above, and taking away the power of that which swirls around our feet. As Jesus says, God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that we may be saved. And so it's important to get this. God does not choose to condemn. We choose. We get to choose. Where will we put our gaze? Where will we give our hearts? We can choose shadows, or we can choose the light. We can choose snakes, or we can choose resurrection. Amen.